Thursday, April 28th, and we have the NL East edition of the State of the Division. Arm Layton, Ryan Finkelstein. Not much has changed in terms of the Mets, unfortunately, in the last week. So we still have cocky Ryan Finkelstein, I should say. <laughs> uh, but I am very happy of what that means for the Locked On Mets numbers. Uh, the division has been wild, Ryan. And uh, speaking of wild, how about these last few Mets games going through this week? Insane. I mean, I've said it. I don't think I've ever seen the Mets be on the right side of a game like the one they won on Monday. Uh, you won a game basically thanks to a Nolan Arenado error. When does he ever yeah. make that throwing error? It never happens. And the Mets are capitalizing on, on every little mistake right now. They score five runs in a ninth inning. It's they've won each of their first six series. So you can't start the year any better. I will say, though, the entire division is starting to kind of get going here because we talked about the Braves a bit to a bit of a slow start out of the gate. I think they've looked better as of late. Uh, You look at the Phillies. They've won two in a row at the point of us recording this. And the Marlins have won three in a row as well. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before things tighten up a little bit. Right. And I think that's I think that's pretty much uh, undeniable. I, I don't think anyone's expecting the Braves to to be eight and ten. Or, or below 500, and even the Phillies. Like We have our questions about the Phillies, but that team's going to hover around 500, and they're going to be able to be within striking distance, at least of that wild card spot as the season goes on. Uh, we'll just kind of fly through each team in terms of just what they've done as of late and, and what our outlook is on, on them. And I, I, we got to talk about the Mets, of course. And they're 14 and five at the point of us recording this. They've won three in a row. They're eight and two in their last 10. Uh, and Jacob deGrom got some good news, which I think is is really encouraging as well, which is that everything is healing really nicely uh, in his own words. And uh, w- w- what is the timeline now, Fink, uh, for deGrom and his return? What's amazing is the Mets are, are more than fine in the meantime. But of course, when you can get the best pitcher in baseball back, uh, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah. So right now, the, the MRI on Monday basically showed that the, the area around his scapula was healing. Uh, he can now do what they're calling strengthening and loading on his pitching shoulder, and they're going to get more images in three weeks. So he's not throwing yet. Uh, honestly, I, I still would be surprised if we see him before the All-Star break, only because the Mets have the luxury right now with the way everyone else is pitching to be super cautious. So I think they will do that. They're going to take their time with rehab on him. But right now, there's no structural damage. Things are healing up nicely. And I think the goal, if you're the Mets at this point, is let's just make sure DeGrom is healthy in the second half and ready to go in October. That's the most important thing right now. A hundred percent. And that's what I was thinking, too, is, you know, especially given how they're performing right now in general, uh, how early it is anyways, even if the Mets were 500, I'd say give it some time. I mean, you need to make sure this guy's healthy. We saw it last year. It was just trying to rush him back trying to to keep him going because I know the Mets were trying to fight for their lives at that point. You're in a good spot here. You've got a lot more rotational depth. Don't rush to ground back. Let him take his time. I just think, and look, I'm not a doctor and I don't know what happened on the inside, but it just seemed like he never fully healed last year. It was like, oh, he's just about getting better. Let's get thrown back out there. And it just seemed like that kept happening and he just kept retweaking and kept retweaking. It wasn't like there was any catastrophic injuries. It just seemed like another tweak, another tweak, another tweak. Uh, but even without DeGrom, how do you feel about this rotation before we move on to the next uh, the next team here? Uh, I really like what we've seen so far from just about everybody. 
it, that that's the thing. It's everyone has has thrown the ball well. The, the only bad start this year is Trevor Williams on a spot start. I, I mean, every other starter has gone out, and then I guess Chris Bassett gave up five runs to the Giants, but the Giants are a great offensive team. So you, you look top to bottom. Bassett has looked great. Scherzer has been unbelievable the last two times out, and then Carrasco and McGill have given you way more than you would have expected. So uh, they're looking really good. Taiwan Walker is going to be back this weekend as well. Uh, it's it's a really deep team, and and every single starter ha- has thrown the ball well this season. So that's why you had that luxury with Degrom. And beyond that, the Mets are third in baseball in WRC plus, trailing only the Seattle Mariners and the LA Angels. So I mean, it's a really good spot to be in, pitching well, hitting well, but it's also a little bit alarming. We talk about offense and offensive issues when the third best team in baseball in WRC plus has a 389 slugging. I think there's a little bit of an offense problem across the game right now, uh, which, you know, it's funny because we, we go to the number two, the, the second place team right now in, in the NL East, it's the Miami Marlins. And and we talked about it on the last episode. I said, look, they, they look pretty good. The pitching we knew was going to be good, but the difference is this year, the rotation is healthy. Lizardo seems to have taken that leap and you're not starting a random guy every fifth day. That was the problem. The Marlins rotation was supposed to be their strength. They were beat up last year. And all of a sudden, you know, you have Trevor Rogers and Sandy going. And then after that, it was like, Oh no, who are they throwing in there? Cody Petit, Zach Thompson, whoever they could piece together. And all of a sudden the rotation wasn't a strength. It's a strength this year. And the offense isn't great, but it's way better than last year, at least thus far. And uh, the, the early results are showing it. Fink, from an outsider's perspective, and by outsiders, I mean it's inside, outside. But from someone that's not watching the Marlins all the time, uh, what's, what's your perspective on, on what they've done so far? Because I would say they're exceeding some expectations in the early going at 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, I think we, we talked about it last week. that like the, the thing that I think you can count on the most over 162 is starting pitching. And so when the Marlins have that, they're in all these games. They have a chance. And as long as they can string together a couple of runs, it's enough. You know, if you have if you have some of these guys on the mound, you don't need to score 10 runs like the Phillies are trying to do. I think it's a much easier way to win baseball games than what the Phillies are out there trying to bash their way to success. It works sometimes, but I think the Marlins have have a really good chance to win a lot of these games and they're getting just enough. And then Jazz Chisholm looks so good. I mean, When's the last time that we've seen the Marlins have, have a player like this you can get excited about that you can just hope like maybe they have a guy that could be a perennial all-star one day um, and one day soon? Stanton, really. It, it, was, it was Stanton. You know, and, and when I think back to like an infielder that is really uh, just taking the just taking the reins and been able to impact the game in so many different ways, because the thing with when someone like Stanton's your best player, it's, it's live or die by the long ball. Jazz reminds me a lot of a young Hanley right now. Yeah. And, you know, a young Hanley that Hanley wasn't always the guy that was heavy and crushed home runs and, you know, was, was a little bit of a slower player. He used to be a shortstop. That was a 30, 30 threat. And that's what jazz is right now. And he's kind of galvanizing this offense. Jesus Sanchez has been phenomenal as well. 290, 343, 532 slash line. Another young player that has really just been wonderful. And then Joey Wendell. I mean, how about the acquisition of Joey Wendell? He's hitting 362 so far this season. Big three-run shot for the Marlins to top the Nationals uh, in in yesterday. I guess it would be two days ago as people are listening to this in that ball game. 
but it's not just the Marlins beating up on the Nats. They took two out of three from the Braves. Uh, they dropped two out of three from the Cardinals, but then also took three out of four from the Phillies. I, this is a team that I think is going to be pesky. Uh, where do you feel like they're going to continue to go? Is this a little bit of just some early luck or uh, do you think the Marlins could be a legitimate threat for, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say the second spot in the division, but the third spot and hang around for the second spot, maybe longer than people thought. I, I wouldn't be surprised that during the first half of the year, they could sort of stay in that, that spot in the second, the second uh, you know place in the division. They, they've looked really good. I also want to mention going into the year, I was maybe being a little bit sarcastic, but not really when I tweeted out that I thought Joey Wendell was the Marlins best position player. And my whole point with it is just, you see what he does defensively for them. And the guy's just a good baseball player. It's very similar, like a Ben Zobers, which just, you know, he might not be the flashes. He's not hitting home runs all the time, but he just gets that clutch hit when you need it. He, he makes that diving play. So I think Joey Wendell and Jacob Stallings also, those are guys that just, they do the little things that help you win. So I wouldn't be surprised that the Marlins were able to hang around for a while. I think the Braves at some point we know are going to round into form and be right up there with the Mets, but that might not happen right away. I think we're seeing that slow start. We'll see when Acuna comes back, but early in the season, when these, these teams start playing each other, I I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Marlins could, could keep this up. And it's pretty funny. The one thing I say with the Marlins too is while this team doesn't look great on paper, these were ABs that were going to Joe Panic that are now going to Joey Wendell, and 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 that makes a big difference. It's not just a replacement, not wins above replacement. It's wins above Joe Panic, and uh, they're getting a lot more uh, with that. Looking at the Braves, though, something that I think is is a little bit overlooked in the early going is I I thought the Braves got a brutal schedule to start the yeah. year. They had to go on the West Coast essentially to start the season, and. They had to go where they had to start in San Diego and then go all the way up uh, to L.A. to start the season on the West Coast and not just on the West Coast against good teams. I mean, so they open up the season against Cincinnati at home and they get Washington at home. So I think the way MLB looked at it was, hey, we're giving you a gift early in the season. You're going to get seven really nice, easy games. And you know what? They did not take advantage of those games. They, They went three and four in those seven. So, I mean, that is fair. But to then go to San Diego, where they took two out of three, and then have to go to L.A., where they dropped two out of three, that's not an easy trip to do in in, in the early going of the season. Then they come all the way back home to Atlanta, drop two out of three to the Marlins, and then they just beat uh, the Cubs in their first game of the series. That just kind of shows you when you can run through every series of the season so far, how early it really is. I don't think anybody is worried about the Braves. I think the scheduling was tough, uh, but it seems like a little bit of a World Series hangover this far for uh, Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I was sort of predicting going into the year. It is tough to come off of all the emotions of a World Series run. You have a similar team, but you're still missing a couple of the pieces. It's going to be tough for them to get things going early. And like you said, Having to play the Dodgers this early in the season, I think that just throws you through a loop because the Dodgers are such a buzzsaw of a team. Uh, you know, the Mets have been playing the Diamondbacks. They had two series against them. You know, the Phillies have been playing the Rockies, which I guess are their own little buzzsaw early in the season with Connor Joe. But still, I, I think the Braves have had it pretty rough so far. And I also think that you look at some of their early season performance and like Charlie Morton is going to be better. Yeah. You know, th- there's a lot that I think is going to sort itself out as this season continues on here. 
Well, speaking of, of pitchers being better, I just put out a piece on justbaseball.com about Kyle Wright and, and why I'm totally sold on what we've seen from Kyle Wright. He looks phenomenal. Uh, and that's a big difference maker for them, because as you said, Charlie Morton's going to be just fine. He's not going to be this guy that's walking seven in 15 and two thirds innings. The guy broke his leg. I assume, you know, landing and just the, the feel of those mechanics getting back into that probably takes a little bit of time for a guy that's thrown a million pitches in his career. Whole get back there. Bryce Elder has been impressive. And Ian Anderson is not going to be this bad either. Ian Anderson has walked to nine batters in 13 and a thirds innings. He's kind of been a slow starter over the last couple seasons, or at least last season alone. Uh, and I think he's someone that that is going to get going as well. So you get M- Morton going, you get Ian Anderson going, and now you have a new looked Kyle Wright. Max Freed looks phenomenal. And Bryce Elder looks like he can help you. This team's going to be just fine. They get that Acuna guy back, which should help a little bit. Albies looks to be unlocking another level right now at the plate. And we know how good Olsen is. Ozuna has been a contributor. I think the big issue for them right now has been the shortstop position and corner outfield, uh, which is funny because that was what kind of helped them corner outfield, at least helped them win the world series. They had all these different guys that they added, but now Eddie Rosario to the IL with an eye issue. Uh, They're not getting anything out of Adam Duvall. Alex Dickerson has been a disaster thus far and they let Jock Peterson walk, who might've been the guy that they needed to keep. That's my one concern is corner outfield. But again, getting somebody like Ronald Acuna back just helps the entire outfield outlook. But Dansby Swanson, a buck 80 so far, hasn't been great. He's a, he's a streaky guy as well. Do you have any concerns at shortstop or corner outfield? Yeah, I think it's going to be something they're going to have to keep their eye on to maybe make some additions. I also think that they're in a really interesting spot with Swanson because he's going to be a free agent. You know, is this a time where suddenly he continues to struggle and you look on the trade market and try to solve that problem for next year now? Uh, you know, kind of like the Dodgers did last year by getting Trey Turner. I think that could be something that we might see here. I'm not sure what shortstops would be available on the market. I think that's something I guess we would maybe have a better idea of in a couple of months. But the, the Braves can be active if they had to make additions. And I think if you're just looking at this division right now, you talk about the starting pitching issues, talk about the corner outfield issues. If you look at the other end of the spectrum, the Mets aren't going to have five starters with a sub two five ERA all year either. So there's yeah. going to be that varying degree of performance where the Mets will slide down and teams like the Braves are going to end up you know, rising a bit at some point in this season. And I'm really interested to see how they navigate. That's going to be one of my favorite storylines in baseball uh, this season is, you know, Dansby Swanson's a guy that's definitely beloved in Atlanta, but also I see a lot of fans that are very frustrated with his inconsistent, inconsistent performance, uh, but you already trade or let Freddie Freeman walk. Right. And that's a glue guy too, Dansby Swanson. He, he's a big part of that clubhouse. He's a big part of that team. He's one of the longest tenured Braves. Uh, that's something that it's going to be another tough decision to make. And, uh, if he performs well, it's an easier decision. But if he continues to struggle, uh, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, the Phillies starting to show signs of life, especially now that they're – well, here's the weird part with the Phillies. They don't hit well at cores, and then the Rockies come yeah. back to their house, and they mash. 18 runs in two games. No idea what's going on there. But, I mean, we're seeing the Phillies team that we could expect here. They're going to mash their way to pitching not mattering. Uh they're going to do that and they're going to be able to do that. Uh, but I'm not sure about the pitching still, but again, this team's showing signs of life here. And if the Phillies get hot, that's a team you don't want to run into, right? Like you don't want to run into a hot Phillies team because any pitcher is 
going to be a little bit nervous about facing a, a lineup where you really don't get a batter off. That's that's the team that I think is just the most streaky in this division for sure, where they're going to have a run, but they'll probably have a month where they'll win like 15 games and they'll have another, another month where they won't win seven. And it's just, I think they're going to have a, a lot of variance throughout the year because bats do go cold. And because I really don't know how, how much we can trust that pitching. I, I'm, I think that over the full year, I, it's going to continue to be a problem. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Zach Wheeler will be better. I'm sure they're going to get better performances than they've had so far. But I, I just think it's a thin team. I really do. I think it's very top heavy. Uh, but when they get hot, when you get Schwarber and Castellanos and Harper and all these guys going, they can score 30, 40 runs in a freaking series and, and sweep a team. And we're seeing that right now against the Rockies. So here's the thing with the Phillies is it's, I've made fun of the defense. Obviously we all have, uh, but I, I always said on the, on the just baseball show, I thought that there was an outside shot that the, the pitching could be sneaky, decent. And Zach Eflin has been pretty good. Zach Eflin yeah. threw four starts. They, they use him in short spurts. They don't want the lineup to come around a third time against him, but four starts, 19 and two thirds innings, 3.20 ERA, 2.97 FIP. Kyle Gibson has been really good as well. And Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler have not been that great. So you figure those guys improve. And Ranger Suarez, if he can find a middle ground, he has not been great, uh, but was really good last year. If he can find a middle ground between that, like with this offense, is that enough? I think they still got to add an arm. I think that if they really want to compete, I think they're going to be one of these teams that has to make a trade. The question is, what capital do they have to make a trade? I know their farm system is not great. So that's a question for you. I mean, do they have what it takes in that farm if they wanted to go more all in and go out and get Frankie Montes? Like, could they do that? I think with some of the early performances, they theoretically could. Andy Painter, who was their first round pick this past year, has been one of the most insane, uh, like just breakout guys. It's not really breakout, I guess, if you just got drafted, but everyone was expecting him to be a slow burn. And he has just dominated out of the gate. Mick Abel has really been really strong in the early going, but they would pretty much deplete the farm system. But that's what Dave Dombrowski does for a living is deplete farm system. So theoretically, they could do it. I also think it might be a good time to sell high on Alec Bohm. You know, Alec Bohm isn't playing every single day. He's getting good run. He's playing, I would say, two thirds of the games, but he's not an integral part of this team. Uh, and if they want to sell high on Bohm, that could be the way they do it too. Clearly, Oakland is not opposed to uh, big league, young big league pieces. It's not just young prospects that they want. That could be an interesting one as well. If they somehow favor Bohm, they could trade Stott, which I wouldn't do personally. I think he's the future at shortstop. But all that to say, they could piece together a deal. And if the Phillies are showing signs of life and they seem that they might just be one pitcher away, would you be surprised if Dave Dombrowski makes that splash and just decides to take a, a farm system that's burgeoning and kind of send it right back down to the bottom of the uh, bottom of the uh, whole league? No, not at all. And I also think that you make an interesting point with Bone because that is a way that you can maybe get a deal done. You trade a prospect that, that a team really likes, and then you throw in, here you go. You got the universal DH, so it's pretty open. Here's a bat that can match for you that's under control for years. Obviously, no one wants to see Bone play some third base, but as a DH, maybe even a first baseman for some teams, I think he still has a, some value. You know, this is a guy that was pretty close to winning a rookie of the year. It was a shortened season, but I mean, he was really good in 2020 and we're seeing again. I mean, there's no reason why Bohm shouldn't hit. And so that's still going to have some value out there. 
A hundred percent. And he's been passable for most of the, the year this this time around at third base. So you figure you I, keep I watched a disaster inning against the Mets where it was it, it was bad. But was that the one where he said, I, I, I effing hate it here? Yeah. 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 That, that was and then he got a standing O, though. So props to Phillies fans on that one. <laughs> Uh, one hey, more. You know why though? He got oh. the standing up because have did you watch that press conference that night? No. So so if you ever watched that, you 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 could not have handled the situation better. Where he said, "Look, I said it." He admitted to yeah. to saying it, and he said, "But you know, obviously, I don't mean that." The fans, you know, we saw when we started coming back tonight, they'll cheer you when it's good. I gotta be better, and now the fans embrace him. He's become this folk hero in the early season. So it just shows you that if you own up to when you make a mistake like that, and you're just honest with the press, it's going to go a long way. And I also think that that even helps him in a certain sense with the way other people look at him around the league, because I think you saw his character in that moment. Absolutely. And what's funny is, you know, maybe the Mets could have taken a page out of that book last year uh, with the raccoon incident. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause everyone just knew that was BS and just mocked yes, exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, now wrapping up as always with the nationals, which I think we'll, we'll almost always do uh, with, with the state of the division. Juan Soto is, is this was my concern. He's not seeing anything to hit at all. Uh, not seeing anything that he's walking 22% of the time. And as a result, he's only hitting 250, but a 422 on base 453 slugging. He was the, the odds on favorite by a long, like by a lot to win the NL MVP. And I said, no way, because he's not going to get enough opportunities to do it. He has three home runs so far. Josh Bell's looked really good. And I think he's a guy that's probably, again, playing his way out of Washington, 345, 450, 500 slash line. Josh Bell's probably going to be a trade piece. And it'll be interesting to see where, where he heads. But I mean, are the Nationals going to lose 100 and are they going to lose triple digit games? I think so. I really think so. It's a bad, it's a really bad team. And I also think, What's rough about it, too, is how does Juan Soto feel about being there after this season? It's just it's not a good look. And you're you're really that that right now is the, the biggest thing the Nationals have to figure out. What are you going to do with Juan Soto? Because the last thing they need to do at this point is have the Bryce Harper situation happen again. So yeah. I, I would just I, I honestly who cares about the, about the games? Just, just continue to to get Juan Soto room and, and negotiate that contract yeah. because that's the only win they need this season. Is you to gotta lock give him the blank check. You gotta give him the blank check. I, I, there's no to. way you'll be to. able to replace him. What I will say though is really, really like what I've seen from Josiah Gray. Yes, uh, one yes. of the best curveballs in baseball. Uh, and and you can look at the whiff numbers. When I was doing my Kyle Wright dig, Josiah Gray was coming up a lot, especially with the curveball queries. Four starts this year. He's striking out 33% of batters. The command can get a little bit better, but that has been fun to watch. And, you know, when you have these bad teams, it's nice to see some of those young players that give you a reason to watch. Josiah Gray is a guy worth watching on the bump, um, especially if he's pitching against your team. It's a good challenge. And I think he's going to turn into a really good pitcher for a very long time, as will Kybert Ruiz behind the dish. It was unfortunate to see them trade Trey Turner, uh, but if that helps them retain Juan Soto, it was not a bad return by any means. And Gray and Kiebert should be a battery, should be battery mates for a long time over there in Washington. So at least you can start to see some of the pieces of the future. Yeah, I was going to mention Ruiz. So I'm glad you did. He looked great in the series against the Mets where I was like, this guy looks like a legit catcher that could be the best catcher in this division by the end of the year. That's how good he looked. I mean, he's a really talented player on both sides. So I think that was a really nice trade for them. I mean, Obviously, you gave up Turner and Scherzer. So if you really wanted to parse it, like maybe you could have got a little more value if they, if you split them up. But 
at the end of the day, if you've got two players that can be impact guys for you for the next six years, that's a huge win. Um, and that's a nice little core now you know, with the two of them and Soto. You got a little something building there. But I also wonder how many state of the divisions we might just forget to mention the Nationals altogether this year. Hey, we did it this time. We did it this time. But yeah, I am worried. I am worried that might happen one of these days. But uh, we'll check back in it next week and let's see if the Mets come and kind of fall back down to earth. Uh, we haven't know. hit the division, uh, you know, matchups as much. So I'm really excited for when the division kind of starts squaring off against itself because that's going to be a really – uh, a really awesome opportunity to to be able to gauge everything because we've only had a few divisional matchups. I want to see a little bit of everything and uh, and kind of get a better gauge there uh, as it'll get a little bit more interesting as we continue to move forward. And then very excited when we start talking trades and all of that stuff. But by next week, we'll have some more, uh, I would say, data to work with, some more matchups to work with, and it'll be a lot of fun. Any final thoughts on what's going on in New York or in the NL East? Um, that's Philly's Friday night city field. That's going to be a good game that, uh, might be able to go to. So looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. I might, I might have to go with, we, we might, we might both have to hit that one. I don't know what your <laughs> yeah. plan is, but we'll, we'll coordinate that off air. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of state of the division. Remember you can tune in for every single division, six days of the seven days out of the week. And we will be talking with you next Thursday.